This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Our most vulnerable continue to bear the biggest brunt of COVID-19. Residents of long-term care homes in Canada make up about half the total related deaths from the virus amid staffing shortages and terrible conditions at some of the homes. The worst case in the country is a private home in the Montreal area where 31 residents died and others were abandoned and left in their own filth, sometimes without food or water. While staff left their posts and the owners allegedly withheld medical records until the government got a court order. There may be criminal charges in that case. The worst COVID-19 outbreaks in Ontario are at the Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cajun, Seven Oaks in Scarborough and Eatonville Care Centre in Etobicoke, to name a few. It's a topic that has grabbed the attention of our Monday Zoomer squad. Libby Zneimer was joined by Peter Mugridge, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, David Kravitz, vice president at Zoomer Media, and Marissa Lennox, chief policy officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. You know, I think what's so heartbreaking about this situation is we can't even say that the home did everything humanly possible to save the lives of those 31 residents. We can't even say that. In this case, there was an utter disregard for human life. No one was monitoring how many staff showed up. No one monitored the care that was meant to be provided to these residents. And when health officials arrived, they found next to zero staff. They found urine bags spilled on the ground. Uh, residents were laying in soiled beds, uh, something that you might expect in a concentration camp. It's utterly just heartbreaking, shocking disregard for human life. It's, it's, it's a horrible situation. The, the really heartbreaking thing to me is that, that we've been talking about, you know, staffing shortages. And of course, this is an extreme example. Mm-hmm. And the Premier Legault says it, it looks like gross mm-hmm. negligence. But these problems have existed for years, David. They've, they've existed for years, and I think to Marissa's point, there's a difference between saying I have an adequately staffed, well-run, uh, long-term care facility where I have a higher uh, case rate and death rate simply because COVID-19 uh, adversely affects older people, but we're handling it and we're doing the best we can uh, with this uh, this tragic virus. And the opposite, saying I don't have enough people, I'm not getting enough people, and nobody's watching to make sure that I try my best to uh, to handle it. And I know, I remember, we'll remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Bob Cajun, and we were talking about volunteers that were coming in from the community to help with the staffing. Uh, and at that, there were, you know, questions about what was going on, but it looked like everybody was trying their best to, to do their best. And here it's just, uh, it, I think it's, if these facts pan out, it's, worthy of criminal charges, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Peter, I mean, yes, you have, that is an extreme example on the one hand, but even homes where people are trying their best, uh, they are suffering under the weight of this. Yeah, and, and it appears to be the homes um, very quickly put in uh, no-visit orders, so, so family members couldn't show. So the only way the virus is spreading in these homes is from staff. And that is a huge problem that neither the provincial government saw fit to um, organize ahead of time, and, and they should have. And, and again, it's always the, the seniors who get the care last, who get the attention last, and it, it takes something like this to, um, you know, shine the spotlight on them and, and see what dire um, conditions they operate in. And, you know, Libby, if they're going to find people for walking dogs in dog parks, you know, they have to find these people who are, who are um, so negligently behaving and killing people. Let's have uh, some final thoughts from you, uh, Peter, first. Well, again, I, I always um, pitch our, our website, everythingzoomer.com. We have ongoing coverage of the COVID pandemic, and we also have a few stories that aren't related to COVID. So just if you want to you know, clear your head a bit. We we always have a couple of stories, including Gordon Pape's, which stocks should we hold on to during the pandemic? So I, I, I think that's a, a helpful story. Yeah, I think that too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David? Well, I think that we've heard, I think the callers had some very interesting perspectives uh, that there is a high level of uh, confidence in well-run homes and good service and people working hard. And let's, let's admit, you know, double shifts around the clock, to try to provide the best service, but I still think that whether it's enforcement or just resources or funding, um, it's a category the government has just got to pay more attention to, and I think, I know at CARP, we're going to be uh, putting pressure on in the future to see that that happens. And Marissa? I think of paramount importance is making sure our homes are adequately staffed, that staff and residents are getting tested rigorously systematically, um, and that homes are adhering to proper quarantine protocols. One thing I would just say to all the families listening who do have loved ones, whether in long-term care or retirement care, do everything you can humanly possible to go out of your way to make sure that they are not isolated. If you originally called them once a day, call them twice. If they're on the ground floor and you can go knock on a window, I drove by a home yesterday and saw three families outside knocking in to see their loved ones on Easter. So go out of your way if you can to make sure that you are doing everything humanly possible to to try and stay in contact, whether virtually or even just through a window, uh, to see your loved one in this time. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We continue with our look at long-term care during the COVID-19 crisis with the minister in charge. On Wednesday, the Ford Tories at Queen's Park unveiled new measures to address the crisis in our long-term care homes. These include increased testing and forbidding staffers to work in more than one nursing home. But there are concerns that gaps and loopholes in these measures will allow the devastation to continue. Here's the best of Libby's conversation on Thursday with Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care. Well, we're following the advice of the Chief Medical Officer of Health and all the the recommendations and uh, directives that he gives. I can't speak to what's happening in hospitals. In terms of long-term care, 
There are situations where positive staff may be cohorted with positive uh, residents, but um, that is the Chief Medical Officer of Health and Public Health um, that directs that. Uh huh. And how quickly are you going to expand the testing to asymptomatic staff? Again, I've had calls from people saying, you know, they're working in a home where there is has been symptomatic staff, but they cannot get a test. And that's a really important question because it's becoming increasingly clear through evidence uh, surrounding COVID-19 that it is asymptomatic spread uh, that is in the community. And obviously, that's how it is getting into our our homes as well. So that's happening as we speak. There are um, uh, testing of asymptomatic residents and staff in, in selected homes all across Ontario to help public health and the chief medical officer of health understand the spread of this. And uh, there is also enhanced testing uh, for homes in outbreak with a targeted plan to look at the residents and staff there in a, in a much more enhanced way, a much more aggressive testing. Now, in terms of the compensation, so you've said that they will be able to have leaves of absence from their other jobs uh, while they're limited to working in only one home. But my understanding is that you're waiting on some kind of transfer from the federal government to top up their wages. So meantime, they're working on the front lines in very difficult jobs, and they've lost income. Well, there's many pieces to this, and we've, we've really want to make sure that our frontline workers understand how much they're valued. And we've been putting measures in place to be able to address their wages and compensation. Um, there are a number of different issues surrounding that. And that takes time. We are not waiting on the federal compensation package, uh, although we do appreciate it, and it will be helpful. So are you going to compensate them? That is something that we are working on to address. We understand the issues uh, during this pandemic. And uh, my heart goes out to every single one of the staff. And the majority of our homes are doing very well. We have a percentage that's in outbreak. Uh, Those staff are under extraordinary um, pressure. My heart goes out to them and everyone affected by this. When can they expect to hear something about their compensation? I would like it to have happened yesterday. The reality is that there are processes that we have to we have to go through. So no ETA? My hope is uh, urgently. That is what I'm actioning. That is what I'm pushing for. There are a number of processes that have to be adhered to. I understand the important work that they do. There was a report today, published report, that the number of deaths in long-term care is underreported by about 50%, that as of the writing of that report, there were actually 219 by a tally of the separate public health agencies versus what was reported, which was 144. There's a lag, and this has been um, really problematic the whole way through this. Public health units are on the ground. They begin the reporting of um, cases and deaths. And then there's several layers before it gets through to the Ministry of Long-Term Care. And we're often seeing reports in the media and on television or through radio reporting before we um, have been able to confirm it. So there are numerous layers that have to go through public health and then to us. It has to be official. They have to be confirmed. But there is a lag. And are you trying to fix that, or is that just the yes. way things are? Definitely, when, when working on that, and the and the gap is getting smaller, there is still somewhat a lag time.
Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care, Dr. Marilee Fullerton, in conversation with Libby Snymer on Thursday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Do as I say, not as I do. There are accusations that this was the guiding principle for both Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Conservative leader Andrew Scheer during the Easter holiday. It was after telling Canadians not to travel to family dinners and take part in outdoor Easter egg hunts, the Prime Minister did exactly those things. When he got into a motorcade with his entourage to go to his Harrington Lake residence in Quebec to be with his family. And then there's Andrew Scheer. He was given a seat on a government challenger plane along with two other MPs, which would have allowed for physical distancing. But he brought his wife and five children on the plane, which meant every seat was taken. Libby Snymer spoke with Fightback Strategy Panel about this issue, which received a lot of traction on social media. Here are Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. You know, I, I think it's it's a tough one because you know you you don't you don't want anyone not to be able to spend time with their family. And I know that the prime minister has you know suffered a lot given the fact that his wife had been tested with COVID and, and he was in self isolation as a result. And and you know, and I've been on this program a number of times and I've complimented him uh, throughout the process. And and I think there's a couple of times when he I think went showed some bad judgment. I think this one would have been one where I think he might have wanted to lead by example. You know, he's been on TV quite regularly and quite forcefully telling people to stay at home and not to travel. And and even over the years, just before the holidays, was telling people, to, you know, resist the temptation to go visit your family and friends and and whatnot. And so, again, I, I feel for him because I know that he's, you know, he's been away and, and, and Sophie and, his, and the kids have been away since uh, since she was uh, relieved and, and released to go. But but still, I think a lot of families out there are suffering the same thing where they'd love to go see their grandfather or their kids and whatnot, but have been told not to go. And, you know, and also I think when, when he travels, he's not traveling alone. He travels with an entourage uh, and they're putting he's putting them at risk because now they have to be on the job doing what they have to do. So I thought it was a little, I showed a little bit of bad judgment. I thought, I thought he should have, you know, practiced what he preached uh, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and led by example, especially during the holiday season when he was telling everybody not to travel and not to visit family and friends. Yeah, and then there's that whole thing of, of going to the cottage and crossing the border where other people are being turned back. Karen? I think that I have some sympathy for the Prime Minister because, you know, he, it's, it's not, you know, we were told not to be with our extended family, but he just wanted to be with his family. And I actually think that maybe this can begin the conversation about how we can start to re- think about returning to life um, post-COVID. Because the reality is we needed the social distancing restrictions in order to combat the spread of the virus. But at some point, the rules also need to be um, practical and pragmatic. And <laughs> he knows that his wife is not getting COVID because she's already had it. So she's not at risk of transferring it to anyone or getting it. And so, you know, traveling with an entourage, you know, and posting it all over social media was probably not the right thing to do. But, you know, I, I think that there, we do need to begin the discussion about how we are going to relax these social restrictions because they're, they are not sustainable for a long period of time. And, and maybe this kickstarts the conversation of, okay, we know it's not going to be this week or next week or maybe not even within the next 28 days. But we've got to learn how to resume some semblance of normalcy. And to your point, Libby, like, 
you know, how, how am I going to go see my dad? I, you know, I haven't seen my dad in six weeks because he lives in a retirement home. I'm accepting that that is the way that it is. But, you know, at some point he's 90 and I'd like to see him before September. So how do we begin this conversation? And maybe out of this, we can start that discussion. Charles, um, you haven't weighed in on, on Justin Trudeau yet and the uh, the great egg hunt caper. No, I don't have a lot of problem with uh, either the Prime Minister or Mr. Scheer making the decisions they made. In the, in the case of the Prime Minister, I mean, his wife had COVID-19. Um, they made a decision that she and the children would go to Harrington Lake, which is 27 kilometers, basically the distance between Scarborough and Etobicoke, um, to uh, help in her recovery. And whereas he stayed back in Ottawa to attend to the nation's business, which he's been doing diligently and assiduously for the last three weeks without interruption, he made no bones about the fact that um, he was uh, going to make the trip to be with his wife and his children. And, you know, we all, a lot of us are very fortunate to have people with whom we are living and riding out the storm together. So it's not like we're all in complete isolation. And as a husband and father of young children, um, I think it was made perfect sense for him to make that trip, and it was in coordination with all public health and local authorities. And it's not like he stopped for, for beer on the way up. I mean, it's basically a one-way trip without any other interactions. Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Karen Stins, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. While COVID-19 has had disastrous effects in Ontario's long-term care homes, the situation in the province's hospitals is better than expected. The worry was that we could end up with scenes like in Italy and New York, hospitals overwhelmed with not enough ICU capacity and a shortage of ventilators, the breathing machines that are a last resort for keeping people alive. Joining Libby to discuss the optimistic trend in Ontario's hospitals, Dr. Adam Kassam, a Toronto-based physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist and public health expert, and Dr. Joshua Tepper, president and CEO of North York General Hospital. You know, we actually have been uh, very busy. Uh, when you look at the data, we uh, have been sort of at an overcapacity, but provincially, when you look at the data, uh, the overall capacity across the system, uh, you know, we do have some, some breathing room, which is wonderful news. I, I think what we've got to be clear on uh, is that news could change in, in days. Uh, and it is really, uh, you know, this is a hard-earned bit of good news, not by hospitals or doctors alone, but by all of society. And there is a huge risk that people read at this glimmer of good news and look at these graphs and sort of quietly or not so quietly re-engage in sort of more normal social engagements. And, and we could lose this within, you know, within days. What I see on this graph is that the modelers expected that there would be about 900 people in Ontario in intensive care units. But instead, what we have are 514 in the hospital with no intensive care uh, 56 in intensive care with no ventilators and 199 on ventilators. Am I reading that graph more or less right? 
So I don't have the graph in front of me that you're referring to, but I can certainly say that there is additional ICU and ventilator capacity and additional inpatient ward capacity, uh, and more than we might have anticipated uh, at this on this date based on projections. So I think that is the sort of positive news that we're seeing. Uh, again, uh, that's uh, that's a credit to everybody really following our physical distancing rules. Okay, and, and Dr. Kassam, is, is, uh, is the reason for that, that we are following the physical distancing rules, or does it have more to do with the kind of preparations that were made? I think it's probably a bit of both, but certainly the distancing measures that we're seeing, not only in Ontario, but across the world, uh, show to be working, right? So we know that this is an extremely com- important part of the mitigation um, phase of, uh, of COVID-19. And I think I'm looking at the same graph as you are. I think it's by Dr. Kwan. So shout out Dr. Kwan. Um, and you're right. You know, I think the total number of, uh, vent- uh the total number of possible, um, ventilation, uh, capacity right now in the, in the system, uh, is, it, it has a bit of flex to it. Um, and it's based on, you know, the additional ventilator capacity that was added in addition to sort of the baseline that we have at a, at a normal level. And so, um, as Dr. Tepper was saying, rightfully so, which is that, you know, we're very, we're, we're kind of still in the, uh, the early innings of this ballgame, Libby, right? So we're on the top of the first, top of the second, maybe. And so we need to keep our foot in the gas. We need to make sure that people understand that this physical distancing is working and that we need to continue to do so. Dr. Tepper, I want to get back to something uh, I didn't pick up on at the beginning of our conversation. You were saying that your hospital is closer to capacity uh, and certainly in the ICU than others that have more room. Can you tell me what's going on at North York General? What I would just say, and this is an important reminder, is that a lot of the patients who are currently in our ICU are not sick with COVID. Many are, but not all of them. And I think it's just a, a good conversation or a good loop back to your comment earlier that there are other things happening and people continue to get sick with other things, sometimes very seriously sick. And so... Uh, you know, people continue to have heart attacks, people continue to have, uh, you know, accidents, and people continue to have flares of their underlying chronic disease that requires hospital treatment or uh, treatment in the community as well as uh, Dr. Kassam rightly, rightly highlights. Um, and so again, you know, we have a huge province. And at any given point, we may see uh, certain areas uh, struggle either because of other types of issues that are happening or because of COVID. And and you're managing, though, now? You said you're at or over capacity? No, well, we we do have, because we have built up, uh, we do have additional capacity. And so we're, you know, the team's doing a fantastic job and we do have the capacity we need and we can continue. uh, You know, we still have additional capacity. Uh, if we need it in the days ahead. I'd like to think we don't, but we are prepared if we need it. Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and CEO of North York General Hospital, and Dr. Adam Kassam, a Toronto-based physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist and public health expert. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. After going through the audio, here are some of the best calls of the week. Pat in Toronto phoned to say how upset he is about the Prime Minister going to his other official residence to be with his immediate family on Easter weekend. I just can't believe the comment that this is a little bit of bad judgment. This is just wrong. 
how do we say that it's okay for the prime minister to break the rules, and yet we're giving a thousand dollar tickets if you happen to sit on a bench in a park here in Toronto? I mean, I'm sorry. This isn't a little bit of bad judgment. This is just irresponsible and privileged talking big time. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Paul in Etobicoke, who shared a personal experience with COVID-19 and nursing home staff. My wife works in a long-term home in Toronto, and one of the staff tested positive for corona. The staff obviously, you know, remained home in quarantine, but the staff member did have contact with basically everybody in the nursing home. So the case in, in my wife's case is that they would like all the staff to be tested before returning to work. If they're in the incubation period and they're at work, they could be spreading it to the residents and they wouldn't know that. But they're basically telling them that unless you're showing signs, there's no need to be tested. But by that time, it could be too late because you could actually be spreading it being in in, in the incubation uh, period. And it's like a catch-22 situation. I don't know. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.